на трибунах холеют знамена, Облака под небесни плывут. На зеленом ковре стадиона разноцветные майки цветут. Hello and welcome back to the Russian Football News Podcast. This week we're shortened down to just a two-man crew, as I'm your host James, as always, joined by David. Hello, hello. And this week we're going to quickly cover some of the latest action in the RPL games, which was a weekend of potentially quite boring matches, but some upsets in terms of the results. Uh, discuss the sacking of Lokomotiv manager uh, Marko Nikolic, and quickly round up by segueing into the international break ourselves by giving a little roundup of the changes to the squad since it was announced and we last discussed the uh, Carpen squad because it's been quite chaotic to say the least, but we'll get into that later. Uh, first of all, Marko Nikolic has been sacked as the coach of Lokomotiv Moscow. It was uh, rumoured um, by Max Alanazarov on his uh, telegram that he was going to resign and that was earlier on in the week. I think it was on the 3rd of October. So last Sunday when it was first... Uh, sorry, on Monday it was on the 4th of October when it was first rumoured. Uh, he had a long thread, which I will quickly paraphrase now. But um, basically uh, he said that over the last few months, the team's apparently been training in two separate groups. Um, Nikolic reportedly had no say on who was match fit. We'll merely receive a list of available available players from the club doctor. He had no influence whatsoever on many of the goings-on around the club and grew frustrated at that. Uh, the report further suggests that none of Lokomotiv's summer signings were discussed with Nikolic before they were uh, greenlit, and the staff often learned about these signings as news reports and first saw them when they came in for the first training session. Um, further on that, and you can get all this in a thread on RFN, on the Twitter, um, further... Furthering on from that, uh, the fav- some of the candidates linked with the job have been Spartak head coach Dominique Tedesco, uh, also for other German managers, uh, Robert Klaus, um, and who worked with Ragnick during his time at Leipzig. Uh, most recently, the Swiss former Borussia Dortmund and Mönchengladbach manager Lucien Favre has also been linked with the job. So it does, according to these rumours, if they are to believe, be believed, that they are looking towards the German route, as you would expect with Rangnick and Zorn in charge at the club. Now, before we go to some analysis of the sacking, which came as a little bit of a surprise, um, considering his generally successful period, particularly last year in charge, but this season, Loco have now only picked up two points in the last three games, of which against Timki, Ural and Rostov. They have zero wins in the last five matches, and just two wins in 10 in all competitions. Uh, Loco have actually lost a home game in the RPL for the first time since October 2020. They were unbeaten in a previous 12 league games on home soil. And that was, of course, the one at the weekend where Rostov finally won again and beat Loco 2-1. And they are actually Loco, on top of having a little bit of trouble domestically, are having trouble in Europe, as you would see, having picked up only one point in two games of Lazio and Marseille. And in a longer term, they are winless in their last 13 games in European competition since the 2-1 win against Bayer Leverkusen. Now, those stats are courtesy of Opta Ivan on Twitter, which I highly recommend anyone to follow who is a 
keen follower of Russian football. I mean, if you aren't, why may listen to this podcast? But straight into it, David, what what do you think about this? Uh, is it is it the right move? I mean, in my opinion, it's not exactly surprising considering Rangnick and Zorn want total control and Nikolic wasn't their man. But away from surprise, um, was it right or not? Um, I think I think it's it's hard to say. It's definitely the form that they've had of late was a very good excuse for Zorn and Ragnick to make their move. It was, you know, they've been looking for an out on Nikolic for a while, but they couldn't really justify it because he had the team playing quite well. Um, they came in, shook up the squad massively, obviously a big, big shape up of the squad last season or last summer. Um, you know, it, it was odd because in the league until this weekend, they had four wins, five draws, I think, but zero losses. But a lot of those draws had come over the last period of time, you know, the last couple of months. Europe hasn't started particularly well for them. And I think this was their, their point where they could get away with um, pushing for Nikolic to go. Um, I can't remember what the exact wording was, whether he was pushed or whether it was mutual. Uh, you know, as, as per the uh, Alan Azarov information, you know, uh, that that was suggesting that actually uh, Nikolic was walking because he was going for, he was just too frustrated with all the sort of all the stops, it's the terrible word, but you know, all this, all the stuff happening behind the scenes. Limitations. Like, well, yeah, all the limitations that were sort of being put in, obviously by Zorn uh, and co to make life more difficult for him. You know, the, the doctor having full control over the staff, the playing staff, which actually uh, I tweeted that thread out. I was like, well, actually, that doesn't seem all that bad. No, I, I suddenly thought, I suspect that most teams, the doctors have the final say on where the players can play. Um, maybe we just don't know. Maybe it was literally Nicholas was being surprised at the last minute and said, oh, Smolov can't play today, or something, even though he thought he was fit. Yeah. Who knows? Um, uh, and, you know, obviously the transfer campaign were apparently players, you know, being signed without his knowledge, which, um, again, in some clubs, not out of the question nowadays with directors of football and stuff. Um, usually, I would imagine managers are kept somewhat in the loop. But, uh, you know, whether whether he left or was pushed, you know, it seemed like they would be, they'd been pushing slightly and maybe they gave him the, the final nudge. I don't know. It, it's a bit of a shame because he's come across well despite playing some largely boring football, let's, let's be frank. But he got, you know, he got Loco getting results and... Um, you know, that, that spell in the Champions League last year where they, they grind out some good performances against Bayern Munich and Atletico Madrid um, really won a lot of people over who were unsure after the Eurosiomin departure. You know, Nikolic was sort of public enemy number one for a while and won the fans over with, with the performances that he get, got from the team last year. And then the new ownership have done a Spartak and sort of come in and pulled out the rug from, from underneath him a bit. So, yeah, it's a bit of a shame, to be to be fair, I think. 
Yeah, it, it's a shame, certainly, for Nikolic. Um, first of all, I like that you mentioned Spartak, because I think it would be remiss for myself to complain about Spartak's directorial uh, potential oversight, or maybe over-abuse of power or whatever. I mean, it's their own power, but extending that power too far and interfering with matters on the pitch too often. Um, it's a little bit different in this case, because in the Spartak case, it is a man who is not a footballing expert exerting power. Here, it's Rangnick and Zorn, who clearly think that they can do better than Nikolic. Their remit is total control over the direction of the club, while his is control over those on the pitch. So it is, at the end of the day, their decision to make. But again, like I said, I can't be so harsh on Spartak and not locomotive because I feel like it's a seemingly unnecessarily disruptive move. Yes, they're out of form, but if you sack a manager every single time a side are out of form, then you're going to be going through the Watford job where it's 18 managers in, in 10 years or whatever, something crazy like that, where it's just very scattergun approach. So I'm not high proponent of the constant sacking of managers. I do believe they should be held to criticism without a shadow of a doubt. But I feel Nikolic deserves more time to prove to them because of the impact he had made previously, because everything that he's doing would fit with their philosophy. Perhaps maybe the style of football they think is a little bit too defensive, but he likes to play high-pressing game. He likes to give youngsters a chance. He's gave many youngsters at Loco a chance, actively bringing down the average age of the squad. So you would be surprised that his, his style isn't too far away from theirs, especially Rangnick's time at Leipzig. But I think they just wanted their man in. And every time you go through an ownership or any club changes ownership, the position of the head coach becomes one of the more unstable ones at the club because it's so influential and people in the higher positions want that influential role to somebody that they trust or somebody that they have at least appointed for the accountability. Um, I've questioned Loco all summer, to be honest. Sometimes I believe that they're going on the right track. I think Ragnick was a real get for the club. On the other hand, a little bit confused about Zorn joining him there. Um, obviously Rangnick has the overall say on all matters ahead of Zorn but and Zorn didn't do too badly at Spartak but it's pretty fair to say that he didn't exactly cover himself in glory there um, I believe that and as I mentioned that I remember saying at the time that I think bringing down the average age of the squad was a good thing because that local group was one of the higher average ages in the league but at the same time, they did overpay for Tiknizian, they did overpay for Konstantin Ardashvili. So there's ifs and buts that you must take, and it, as often the case, the middle road is potentially the correct one. And whether or not you sack Nikolic, unfortunately, the only way that you can really judge this is the successor. <laughs> Ironically, that sounds weird to say, but it's who, who do they appoint? It's it's always the next step. If, if it is say when Siska, Siska firing Goncharenka at the time wasn't surprising. Goncharenka has had them through a very poor run of form. He was under fire from Babaya for his results in Europe for a very long time. But then they went and replaced him with Vitsa Rolic, which just wasn't, never looked inspired. Um, I must admit, I'm a little bit still surprised about Belozutsky doing so well, considering he has no experience 
prior um is putting square pegs in round round pegs in square holes but it's working i would never have guessed that obliakov playing at left back chalov playing at center back akhmatov playing attack in midfield signing zavalotny playing up front would be nearly successful um they're not f- lighting the league apart but far better than anything that they managed under Olic, his successor so a fair credit to that um so I'll, I'll judge it properly when the successor is announced and we see how they get on but i must admit i'm a little bit disappointed because i like nikolic while also not being surprised in the least i remember saying at the time in our chat that it, it was an inevitability. Rangnick loves total control. And it was only a matter of time that he got someone in. I even joked that keep an eye on the German betting markets because it's probably going to be a German coach. And it's not surprising to see that they are linked, a, a cadre of German coaches. Um, to go to a rumour that of, of a potential successor that we know a lot about, do you think that Tedesco would work well at Loco? Um, while I can't necessarily see it happening because he did leave Moscow once already for personal reasons um, I think he probably would would do quite well there um, he also seemed to seem to thrive with a young squad um, you know he he was well liked by all you know I think we all liked him um, we liked his passion that he showed Um but I think it's just a token link. Zorn has obviously worked closely with him before. Um, and I think therefore it was just, well, let's let's just let's just link it and say, I mean maybe there is, you know, there's no harm in asking the question and maybe that's what happens. Maybe Zorn went and said, but do you want to come and manage it loco? Um, it's then on to on to Dedesco and would he a? I'm not going to use the word betray, but you know, make that decision against Spartak fans who, while Loco aren't their biggest rivals, it's a city rival, which is enough probably to annoy them, um, tarnish his his decent spell at the club. You know, I think if he wasn't quote unquote homesick, he would still be there at this point, um, because he was really really doing something, but. Uh, I think he would undoubtedly probably do well there, uh, but uh, it seems it seems unlikely, like the most unlikely of the of the rumors. Yeah, I'm not seeing much in it to be honest. I think it's just a little bit of um, clickbait in the press to be to be quite quite fair. Um, I don't think it'll happen, but I've also read. Not rumours, but um, some local fans saying that they would like Rangnick to take over himself. Obviously, he was previously manager. Um, and I can see why they say this. If you look at local last year, one of Nikolic's successes was introducing the diamond formation, the 4-4-D into the side with the Gemenetinov as the top of that diamond. Whatever you want to call it, 4-3-1-2, whatever. But it was a, a diamond formation, essentially. And this season... That's changed. He's basically had a pivot of generally two of Baranov, Kulikov, and Makayev playing more of a 4-2-2-2, a 4-3-3 in more recent games. And these two formations, a 4-2-2-2 and a 4-3-3, 
or actually Rangnick's two preferred uh, formations during his uh, managerial career, uh, career when he when he was managing in in Germany. So you can see the potential influence of him from behind the scenes there, getting the team to play in a different style. And since changing that style, it's quite clear that they haven't been anywhere near as effective. I'd recommend people to find the article in counterpress.ru, which is goes in, goes heavy in depth regarding uh, a tactical analysis of Loco last season and comparing it to their support, their player this season. And one of their key takes, I'll, I'll not go through the full thing, obviously, because I highly recommend give them clicks, give them the, the visit, because it's a, it's a great read. But one of their general um, agreements of why Loco are suffering a little bit this season compared to how good they were in the spring is Gemelectinov's positioning and that Rifa is basically far better better as a 10 rather than out, out on the wing because he has that, that space to allow his low centre of gravity and his keen ability to find positions in between the two defensive lines to be at its most effective. While you would see Smolov or Kamano mostly last season uh, drift and pull the defences away uh, go beyond the shoulder, Kamano in particular would like to go out wide before then arriving late into the box. Um, and the, just the fluidity of that worked really well. And one of the other parts was uh, the effect of fullbacks. Obviously, when you're playing a diamond formation, your fullbacks are vitally important because of the narrow width of the general first top third of the pitch. And they didn't criticise, but did discuss how Rukchinski and Zhivoglidov are better in that role, but Tiknizian not so much, and Tiknizian's a little bit isolated playing in that position. But David, what what do you think? Do you think that Tiknizian was a was a good signing? I mean, I know you're not you don't rate him the high, highest of these crop of Russian youngsters at the moment, but how do you think he's been getting on at local? I think Tiknizian uh, I think the crucial thing is that Loco played four at the back, and Tignizian, for most of his youth, uh, played as a left midfielder or a wing back. Um, and I think that's his best position. He's he's too attack-minded to be a full-on left back. Um, he'll just get a bit a bit like Ayrton. Like Ayrton at Spartak really is better suited to the wing back role because he's really good going forward and he's capable in defence. Not like he's not amazing, but when you combine, you know, for a wing back, you need someone who can do both, and the fact that he can do both is fine. Tignizian, if you're playing as a stand up fullback, you need to be arguably, you know, better at defending than attacking. Um, but yeah, I think, I think therefore that's the issue. And I remember um, Krasnodar, um, they remember when they signed Skopjensev, um, and he, didn't succeed there for the same reason because Skopintsev had been used to playing as a winger uh, or as a wing back uh, in a five-man defence. Krasnodar played four at the back. It didn't suit him at all. He wasn't good enough to be a flat-out winger for, for Krasnodar and therefore they parted ways. And now he's at Dinamo where he also isn't playing overly regularly as a as a you know as a left back, if he comes on the bench, if he comes off the bench, which he's been doing a lot, um, he often comes on uh, and plays higher up the field. Um, wouldn't see, I wouldn't see starting all the time there. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, I think they definitely overpaid for him. I don't think his potential is that high, Tignesian. He cost Loco in the Champions League in the first game against Marseille with a bad, stupid foul, which got him sent off and gave a penalty to Marseille. Um, so yeah, that, that, you know, the Maradish Vili signing, fine with me, because I, I, I rate him. There are people who don't rate him, but I rate him. But Tignesian, not so much. Um is he is, doesn't even have a great amount of senior experience for Siska. Um he was limited last year to I think he got two starts and the rest of his twenty odd appearances were all just cameos off the bench. Um so it's a player who really in the Premier League has only started probably about a dozen games, if that, probably even less than that. Um mm. so yeah, considering the fee they paid, I thought it was it was way too much. Um, yeah, 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 definitely. It, it's like we you said before. It's a case of the pass paying for the passport rather than necessarily paying for the player. I think that's the case with Maradashvili as well. Although I don't rate him quite as highly as you do, um, I do think he's still one of the better young Russian centre midfielders out there. Um, and I must admit that this article isn't like it doesn't just blast local. Obviously, it's it's very well balanced. Um, in in that they suggest that Alexis Bakabakar should play as a number ten. In the Dinamo game, they explicitly mention and highlight how when Nikolic changed it from the 4-4-2 to a 4-2-3-1 and, and pushed Bakar Bakar forwards, and he really pressurised Nikola Moro and played far better than we have seen him playing in a deeper role. Um, and they basically come to the conclusion that Nikolic, Nikolic's clever work has actually minimised a lot of locals' defeats this season because... He's working with a squad that isn't necessarily suited in one that he didn't necessarily buy, that we all realise that now. So it, they give him credit for working harder under difficult circumstances. So it'll, the jury's still out on whether or not this is the correct decision, but it's certainly a big decision for them to make early on. And I think Ragnik probably has a plan. Somebody who's so experienced in football, I wouldn't be surprised if he has a long-term plan to move local forward. So regardless of who they do sign next, I think the next six months to a year is going to be very interesting over at local and to see how the club develops. And as I did mention, local lost at the weekend in a 2-1 defeat to Rostov. Uh, we'll move on now to the RPL games and that game in particular, David, how do you think Rostov played at the weekend? And Loco, of course, were without Guillaume and they had a 17-year-old in goal. How does he do? How does he play? Yeah, that's right. Um, Guillaume may have been sent off uh, against Kimki and Kudyukov came in uh, in that game. They had two, you know, as is the standard almost nowadays, uh, they had two keepers on the bench. Uh, Savin uh, and Kudyakov, Kudyakov being the younger of the two, so I was surprised when he came on. And, uh, you know, he was terrific. He, you know, he earned them that clean sheet against Kimki. They held on for a 0-0 draw. Um, they they got battered and he put in some good saves. Uh, and, yeah, and then he got the whole 90 against Rostov uh, this week. It was... It was another decent performance. He made a lot of good saves again. Um, the the thing that went against him was just the slight lack of experience. Um, the first Rostov goal, 
they did uh, what's become quite a common set piece routine nowadays, I think, is where a team will pile everyone in on the front post or on the goal line to, to crowd a goalkeeper out. Um, the ball didn't even go. The, the ball was actually deep, as I recall. It was either deep or flipped on. Um, I think it was maybe flipped on. Um, goalie was being bullied by Komachenko a bit. But the, the player on the line had it, cleared it away, but it hit Girano Kirk and, and went in for a own goal. Um, so the goalkeeper were not really too at fault for that. Uh, and actually what I noticed, what I did notice was on the very next corner that uh, Rostov had, he came out and punched. Um, so I thought that was really good when I saw him do that. Um, I was very pleased to see that he he knew that he'd been bullied and he took the initiative. You know, he is quite small still, but, um, you know, he did good. Uh, he made six saves, 75% save percentage. Um, so, yeah, I thought he he was good, but uh, they did lose, obviously, uh, Rostov. Um the, they'd started again. They actually started Loco this game. Sorry, I'd say Rostov lost. Loco lost. Um, Loco started this game without Smolov or Zhimov. They had Kirk, Kamano and Anjorin um, as their front three, which wasn't doing a great deal for them. They, they did score an early goal from Alishvili, uh, from across. Um, but after the equaliser, it was a fairly equal game, fairly even. Um and actually, I, I I was thinking during the game um, that Rostov, so Rostov obviously signed their two Swedish players, uh, Pontus Armkrist and Armin Gigovic. Uh, must be coming up to a year now, a year ago. Uh, and Almquist, I think this season, we've been seeing better from him. Uh, I was, like When he signed, I was like, mm, what's, what's the offer for the team? But um, I've been noticing that he's really sort of upped his game this season. Um and was really good, and has been really good. Gigovic has been struggling to get regular starts. Started and played the whole ninety, and I thought was it was definitely his best game in a, in a Rostov shirt. And I remember thinking that during the game, and then he assisted, then assisted the the winning goal in the eighty eighth minute um, with a lovely sort of disguised through ball to Dmitry Polos, who um, you know. Scored fairly simply when when he was through on goal against uh, Khudyakov. But uh, yeah, I mean, Loco just not creating the chances that they should have been creating. Um, You know, Rostov had 15 shots. Lokomotiv only had nine. Um, Loco had more possession. But uh, going forward, they they were struggling. Smolov and Jemalinov both came on during the game, but didn't really do too much for them. Smolov hasn't scored since Russia played Malta in the last international break. Jim Adinov also has been without a uh, goal contribution in quite some time. And obviously both those guys started the season in fantastic form. They're both in everyone's fantasy teams and basically ever since we've brought them into the teams, they've done nothing. So um, a deserved win, I think, ultimately for, for Rostov. They, they weren't bad, they weren't good, but they were still better than Loco and... Uh, uh, and they did well to to get the win. Yeah, yeah, very good win for them, and that is their first away win, I think, in what six games now. So they finally arrested a terrible run of form that they're on. But uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah, I mean, uh, Siomin was was sacked. Mm. 
or left whenever it was, and they've got this guy today in as a temporary head coach, and um, he, he's the youth, he's the coach of the youth team, um, and you know, you obviously got them, got them going, and they, they, yeah, got a nice win. Yeah, so move on to the to the next game of the weekend, and it was a uh, another upset. Uh, we'll start with the start of the weekend, actually. And David, your Ruben side lost against Nishini. Uh, quickly on just a quick quick summary of that one. Uh, how did Nishini do? Um, well, they've sort of did as they had done. Um, <laughs> you know, they've been you, you, every week. You think, oh, they're going to lose, but then they come out and somehow pull, pull together a. A decent performance. Uh, Ruben worked particularly good in the first half, um, but we came out early and we won a penalty in, and had it saved. Um, and that's twice the season that we've had a missed penalty go uh, and cost us uh, a big, well, not a big result, but cost us a result. Um, Karatskelia earned the penalty, and he then took and. He just sort of smashed it hard and low down the middle, and uh, I think Nigel Matuli had saved it almost back in favour style with his legs. Um, but the the thing that sort of caught people was that um, Slutsky had showered from the touchline to let Anders Dreyer take it, but Kvaratskhelia wanted and ended up did taking it um, mm. because you know he'd won it and he was he, he wanted it. So uh, I'm sure he got a bit of a telling off for that, and it's not the first time I've seen him sort of be a bit rebellious. Um, there was one time last season where I thought he was being a bit anti, anti manager, but um, yeah, he's he's not been on the best form. But obviously, he's still not fully fit after his injury. Um, he's with his with the George team this this international break, and hopefully that will spur him on. Uh, he actually didn't even start the game; he came on um, midway through the first half um, when Ruben suffered yet another injury, and Mikhail Kostikov has now played this season up front in centre mid on the right wing where he started the game um, at right back and he ended the game playing at left back uh, against Nishin Novgorod. Um, so he's played in all those positions this season. Um, yeah, and then it was actually him who gave away the penalty, but uh, I mean, I don't know if you've seen the foul, quote-unquote foul that uh, they gave for the Nishin Novgorod penalty. So for me, it was a definite non-foul. I didn't think it was a foul in the slightest. Um, so I thought we'd been very hard done by by the refs on that one, like they went to VAR and VAR gave it, and I just couldn't believe it, um, to be honest. But this is how it goes. Um, not the worst VAR decision to, to happen this weekend. Um, and yeah, struggling. We you know we need some results. Despot and, and Kratos Scalia, both uh, actually in the interim started that game as I recall. Uh, both uh, coming back from their injuries. Neither of them have hit the form this season that we need them to be in. Uh, I think we're also now winless. In, into the last five so mm-hmm. we need something uh, you know I'd, I remember a couple of weeks ago you asked me and I said oh it's just a blip you know we've had injuries we have tough opponents but then we've had the first game against a quote unquote easy opponent uh, which we we lost so um, another international break regroup hopefully get some players back um, from injury you know we, we're missing three left backs which is not ideal so hopefully they can be fit again for for the restart yeah, hopefully the injury troubles at Rubin are pretty are quite rough right now. But it would be remiss to say that they are also in pretty desperate form. Um, mm-hmm. Yet with Rubin, because they're a little bit of a more normal club, there's 
absolutely zero pressure on Sutsky's position because everyone understands that a blip is a blip. Uh, I wasn't in, impressed with Ilya Bukowski again, who's on loan from Loco at Nizhny, mm-hmm. uh, young young winger. I thought he hasn't had the best of seasons, to be quite honest. Uh, up until he scored against Dinamo Bornal, he spent a lot of the time either on the bench or just kind of the game passing him by. Uh, Nizhny's style doesn't necessarily help him because, well, in one aspect it does because he, he he's a good play, he's a player who can perform best when he's given an opponent to run at and space to run at, but at the same time. A lot of the players bypassed away from him. They play very centrally, um, stack the midfield, and, and that's where he should be playing as well. I remember when yeah. he when he joined Torpedo, he he was playing and succeeding really well in the number ten role. And I noticed he did play on the right against Samoshnikov. Um, once then Samoshnikov went on injured, he he had a lot of success. Um, but yeah, he, he he's not been starting a lot. But I'm hopefully I'm with you. I'm hoping he can start starting more. Um, yeah, maybe initially get someone that maybe get him to play in that central role. Um, he he's one who's also at the tour for the under twenty ones, and I thought he might have been in with a, a call up shout um, as an as an attacking midfield option. But uh, I think he just needs a bit more stability uh, domestically. But I agree with you. If, if you look at Nishni's squad as well, I was I was about to go on how I I just don't like them out on the out wide. If you if you look at the midfielders, I mean, Sharapov, Sepeta, uh, Mogilevets, Bumal, Kalinsky, I mean, all of them apart from Kalinsky are particularly defensive. Kalinsky's more box to box. But, uh, I mean, yes, his experience of performing like this and Bukowski performing well in, as a 10 is in the league below. But he is the outstanding candidate to potentially link attack in midfield better. And that's been one of Nizhny's biggest issue so far this season is the inability to, to link midfield and attack and whoever it be if it's Beckenbala up top Suleimanov or Richie Yenin who, who started most of their games a combination of the three they're just totally isolated because the team sits so deep so yes they got the one sorry they got the win but it was a little bit of a contentious decision and based upon the back of Arta Nigmatulin being absolutely brilliant in goal so the player up is player of theirs I've been impressed with. He hasn't started a lot this season, but it's uh, Gorbanov, who scored their first goal of the season. Um, whenever he comes off the bench, he he does tend to play in that sort of pocket, uh, sort of the attacking midfield link rather than out wide. And he always looks quite good. Uh, 27 years old. Um, and has been, been with for a little while, but uh, he, he always seems to do well and doesn't start too often. But uh, he's he's been one of their their players who's really helped them along this season. The strikers, I mean, Balai hasn't scored as far as I recall. Um, Suleimanov has a couple of goals. I mean, most of their goals this season have come from I want to say defenders. Kozlov has got like four, I think, mm. which is just ridiculous. Um, so it seems unsustainable for them. I'd have to. I'd be interested to do some sort of you know checks on their expected goals and you know how how many shot goals to shots there. They're having, but uh, you know they're they're getting it done, and it, if they can just keep it up for a little bit longer, surely they'll accumulate the points to to survive because uh, they're what firmly in the mid table at this, this point. I think yeah, they're in. Oh, that's it. They're like firmly in that group of about eight teams who still are within with a shout of a top four finish. Yeah, I remember Gorbanov like 
more so four or five years ago, or maybe a little bit longer now, when he was playing for Dynamo St. Petersburg in the PFL, and then was at Nizhny, actually, and got was one of the players who got such a promoted to the RPL for the first time. And he was a, a really highly rated young winger. Um, but I hadn't... He, he kind of went off the grid since then, just dotted about, and not really made the impact that he did initially make. He was really good for Sochi that year, linked up um, really nicely with Maxim Barsov. Uh, and he was only, what, 23 at the time, too? So it's, it's good to see Gorbanov playing well, but I just wish... Nothing against him. I just want to see Bukowski released in that role. Um, to move from one side where we focus on young players quite a lot to another, uh, Krilia beat Dinamo 1-0 away from home in another upset. Uh, quickly on Krilia, their young star signed from Chitanova, Sergei Pinyayev, has been named in the Guardian Next Generation list. Uh, of course, the yearly annual release from the Guardian highlighting the next generation of, of young stars. Um, of course, last year, Dawson Zaharian was featured on that, and then not long later was given his his big break. Um, Pinyayev, picked by Arta Petrosian, is the obvious example uh, to anyone who listens, who knows anything, a modicum of any information about Russian football. But Krilia, sorry, won again. They beat Dinamo with a really nice goal from Roman Yezhov, counter-attack, which Ivan Sergeyev just absolutely tore Dinamo's defence apart with a really nicely weighted through ball. But just quickly on this one, David, what do you think about Krilia this year and Pinyayev? He started what all but I played in all but one game for them. Yeah, I think he missed the first game, but has come off the bench in yeah, all of them since. Uh, obviously started in the cup and scored a couple of goals there. Um, I remember the the start of the season when Krilia's first couple of games, I just thought, man, because we were all very excited about this team coming up. Quite a young team. They'd done so ridiculously well in the Feniel. You know, so yeah, scored 40 goals. And, um, you know, they played really free football. And at the start of the season, I think they lost their first couple. And we were just like, my heart sank because I just thought, man, are they really not going to be able to adapt um but they've they've started to come through a little bit of late you know they're they've got four wins now 13 points after 10 fixtures um and they're you know they're not prolific but the goals are coming you know Sergeyev's got a few goals now um you know they're they're putting in good performances Zinkovsky's been recognised by the national team um and it, it seems like they might be okay now this season, which is always nice to see. Um, and yeah, they they you know they put in a defensive masterclass. Not one well, masterclass, maybe a bit too strong, but they were really good defensively against Dinamo. Um, you know they 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 kept them out, kept them from creating too many chances, and they scored off a counter attack, which they needed to do. Um, I think the addition of Sylvie Begic from Rubin on loan has actually been a big, big help. Um, Soldatenkov, who I was really, you know, he was their captain and had been really good um, as when they got promoted, um, but made a couple of slight mistakes. And I think Begic has come in and sort of stolen that position in the team um, and, and has done particularly well for them. Um, 
you know, Glushenkov, I, I just love watching Glushenkov play. Uh, Protsev's doing really well at the moment as well. Zinkovsky, we know, Yezhov, I think that must have been Yezhov's first goal of the season. Um, didn't score, didn't do a lot with goals last season when they got promoted either, or assists, but started a lot, um, which which tells you something. It shows that he's putting in the the effort and the, and the work rate um, for the manager to keep playing him like he, he does. Um, yeah, it's just nice, you know. It's a it's a real team effort. No one's scoring lots of goals, but the goals are coming from from all over the pitch. You know, Savelli, Glushenkov, Sergeyev, Yezhov have all scored now this season. So um, yeah, it's nice to see. You know, and it is still a fairly fairly young core there. You've still got in that game against where we had Loyev, Gorshkov, Zinkovsky, Prutsev, Yezhov, and Glushenkov. So six players there from the from the Chertanova era. Uh, who started, and then uh, Yakuba, Pinyayev, Savelli, and Sipchenko came off the bench. It's another four, so ten players uh, played against Dinamo who have come from from Chertanova. Um So yeah, uh, I think uh, they they've 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 uh, stopped my heart from sinking a little bit of late. <laughs> yeah, I remember being a little bit worried at the start of the season, but it's good to see them them getting a nice string of results together. And I, I agree, I really like watching. Uh, watching Glushenkov play, I think he's a really just classy player on the ball. Um, it's a real shame how it's worked out so far at Spartak with him just picking up the injury and then not really getting a good chance. And then those uh, early on, he did get that little run run in the team, and he just he played well, but just couldn't put really, really like guilt edge chances away. And after that, you just kind of knew with how ruthless the, those are in in charge of Spartak that he wouldn't he wouldn't getting that chance that season a little bit like Urinov when he first started and people judged him before he was really able to show his quality there and then was shipped out on loan but he is of course only on loan at Krillia so from my perspective I hope that he can get the ground running this season as he has playing well so far and return to Spartak hopefully with a little bit of renewed vigour. The next game was the probably the best game of the weekend despite being goalless and that was Siska Krasnodar. Um, David, you're going to have to unpack this one because it's a little bit of a crazy game. 49 shots on goal. Oh, yeah, it was outrageous. Um, it's a big say. I mean, Safanov was, was particularly good for Krasnodar in goal. Um, just just an end-to-end affair, you know. I think Krasnodar, as I recall, were the team with the dominant uh, number of shots. I will just quickly pull that up here uh, and confirm. But... Uh, yeah, it was. They were the yeah. They were the team with the most shots. Um, you know, I think you'd said you'd you'd read some stats so that we couldn't find whether uh, it was true that it was a game with the most amount of shots and the most potentially even the most amount of passes in RPL recorded history. Um, yeah, a, a crazy game. Um, Cressner had some really good chances to win it towards the end. You know, the the team they put out that. They're, they've. It's just nice to see them playing fairly well again. Obviously, the defense is still the uh, the weak spot, as it were. But um, last week, Sorokin and Kayo in the Sochi game, where they lost, where they won three nil and ended up with nine men. Those two were, were really good, um, and I think they carried it over. Were fairly good this game, despite the number of shots they let uh, go on goal. Um, yeah, so some 
ridiculous shot stats, uh, good say, a lot of saves from both goalkeepers. Uh, Savonov obviously picked up man of the match uh, after a couple of really, really big saves. Um, Villena playing at left back. Um, you sort of know my distaste for the for the man, and uh, not for the man, but for the player. Um, I'm sure he's a very nice man. Um, but wasted some guilt-edged counter-attack chances towards the end. You know, he was playing left back and he was coming to the box on that channel, just inside the box where you can picture a left back coming in. Um, receiving the ball there and just shooting straight away uh, when the shot was nowhere on. I, I haven't checked, but I suspect the HG on those two shots were. Actually, no, I did check. Uh, he had like four shots in total with like less than 0.1 XG combined or something. Ridiculous. Um, just wasted two amazing chances. Um, and then the game culminated. Krasnodar really put the pressure on at the end. And they had two penalty shouts. The second one was a guilt-edged handball. Not not intentional from Diveyev. But uh, it, it hit his hand and it stopped Klaasen the from bypassing him. Um, very obviously, and for whatever reason, the the VAR did not check it. VAR didn't even have a look. Um, there was no check, as far as I'm aware. Um, and then, uh, well, I don't know if you wanted to go over the news or if I just carry on. Um, yeah, yeah, man. Today's today's news. Uh, I think it was Vasily Kazartsev, who you you informed me was the referee who uh, erroneously awarded a penalty for Sochi against Spartak. Uh, on the opening mm-hmm. game of last season and subsequently uh, received a few months suspension. Um, he was the man in charge of VAR and he has today been suspended for at least a year, uh, if, you, we, if we believe what, uh, what Sport Express say he's received a lifetime ban from refereeing uh, for not referring, not informing the referees of the, of the handball, you know, um, mm-hmm. because... It was it was blatant, it, you know. If you uh, go onto the RFN Twitter, um, uh, there's a tweet on there, retweet uh, with a picture of, of the handball. Which, granted, in context, actually, I looked at it earlier. Thought, well, this is a bad picture because it actually looks like Clarkson's handballing it at the same time. But uh, it, it was absolute blatant handball, and you know, Krasnov would have had therefore had a, a 90 second minute penalty and a, a chance to win the game. Uh, but uh, it didn't ended nil nil, uh, you know. As Neil Neil goes, a very good one, and uh, obviously then had its fair share of drama as well. Yeah, it was. It, it's pretty like Stonewall. Um, it's one of the most obvious apparently decisions I've seen in quite some time. Um, like you said, rumours of a ban for life. I think it's not necessarily this decision in isolation. I think it's a a series of gaffes from Kazartsev, which are pretty either very highly publicised um, or uh, very important ones. Obviously, the biggest one that I remember was, like I said, the Sochi game for Spartak last year with the late penalty for Christian Oboa to, to win the game. Um, and in that, the VAR outlash was against Kazartsev, who essentially failed a polygraph test on whether or not he gave the decision honestly. Uh, for that, he was suspended for a couple of months. So it, it seems like it's more so a, an ac- accumulation of just high-profile errors and gaffes and causing a lack of accountability in his own personal ability to referee games. Um, 
But aside from that, it was an, it was a fascinating match. It was it was really entertaining to watch. Uh, unfortunately, like I say, we, we couldn't get the goal, but that was a little bit of a pattern throughout the entirety of the of the weekend with only like what ten goals during the entirety of the games. Um, four one nils and two nil nils. So after getting the first nil nil of the season only in week nine, was it between Himke and Loco? We then got quite a few um, more boring games, more de- sorry, not boring, defensive games. Like it would typify of past years in the RPL. But we'll move on to the last game that we're going to discuss in depth. And that is, of course, the last big upset of the weekend. Um, and that is Zenit lost at home to Sochi. That is Sochi's first ever win over Zenit in the history of the club. Uh, granted, that's not very long, but congrats to them. Uh, in that game, um, Sodor Azmoon was sent off after a... VAR decision was overruled and decided that the yellow card that he originally received should be a red card. That was, a, my opinion, a pretty pretty poor decision, but I'll move on to that later. Uh, Artun Zuba gave them the the, uh, the lead just before half-time. And in the second half, Matteo Casiera scored uh, to level it up. Just four minutes later, Sergei Terakov has got the winner. Now, they're two players... In a rich vein of form this season, uh, Matteo Casera, of course, we have briefly mentioned in the pod. He's the Colombian striker who was signed from Belenezes. He's got now two in four games. Um, Sochi have only lost once, I think. Uh, two, no, yeah, twice, sorry. They lost twice since he arrived, but he, and one of which was a 3 0 heavy defeat at Krasnodar. But Casera was probably one of Sochi's better players that game. He had, a, he had a really effective game. And then, obviously, against Zenit and Ufa. I was really impressed by him. I thought he performed very well. Uh, David, is there any standouts here from the Sochi perspective? Um, I mean, I, I agree with you on the on the Asmoon red card. Uh, I read to, read earlier that he won't receive a further suspension. I honestly thought they were going to withdraw the red card, but it seems like maybe not because it was. You know, it was just a striker going for the ball. Uh, and he just, you know, happened to get... I didn't think there was anything dangerous. Okay, that's maybe a lie. Because, you know, he ended up you know, kicking him in the midriff. But, like, they're on the ground. This is not like a karate kick. They're both challenging for a low ball. Um, I don't know. I thought it was very harsh. Yellow, yellow, even a yellow I thought was harsh. I thought it was just a genuine attempt to play the ball. It was no, no malice. I didn't think it was overly dangerous. But whatever. Um, the the first Zenit goal was another. I say another, but a defensive defensive error. Um, big big cross went into the box. Chistikov and Kritsuk both went for it. Um, Chistikov essentially made Kritsuk drop it, almost headed it out of his hands, and Casio then just had an empty net to to tap it into. So that wasn't ideal, um, considering. We, we've been somewhat praising Zenit's defence of late. Um, but if we talk about the two key errors that have happened in recent weeks for them, both involve Chistikov now and Kritsyuk, because that Lukaku goal, I still think Kritsyuk should have saved, personally. Um, and then, yeah, you know, it was a good winner. Uh, the Yusupov's assist, he absolutely sat down Barrios. Um, got played in down the right channel, right to the byline. Faked across on his right on his right foot. Barros bought it, jumped in, 
uh, basically Sol Campbell off the pitch, and then uh, Yusuf have just had a, an easy easy pass into into Tirikov. Um Did you just use Sol Campbell as a verb? Yeah, I did. Yeah. <laughs> um, but interesting that that game we had probably the left back and right back who will start for Russia uh, this week. Tirikov for, for Sochi will probably almost certainly it seems like we'll start our left back for Russia and it w- it would seem that Sutomin may well start at right back for Russia uh, two uncapped players um, who have both been in good form to Tirikov as you, as you say um, and actually what I, what prompted me to remember this was that I just saw a picture on the Feniel Twitter um of them both holding the the Fenio Trophy because they were both promoted with FC Orenburg three years ago. Yeah. Um, so you know they've come a long way together. Those two guys. Um, you know. So Tormund's career path is slightly different. You know, left Zenit at a young age, down went round the houses, ended up back at Zenit. Terakov started at a very modest Dino Bryansk, worked his way up through the the rankings. Happens to be with Sochi at a good time for both him and the club. And that's enough to to have earned in this this call up late in his career because he's what 29, 30, 31, I forget some some in that vicinity. Um, but yeah, very good result for Sochi. Um, you know, of the, of all the teams who had the qualifying for Europe, you know they they were so close to to getting there. You know that they almost had that result against Partizan. Um, you know they would have then had to go and play uh, Santa Clara as I, as I recall it was. But uh, you know they were they were literally like two minutes away from from being partisan, and I feel they could have easily made the 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 group stages. Um, they just had one one or two lapses in that game, which which cost them, which is a shame because they they've kept their form up this season. Ruben compared to last season, not as good. You know, defensively, they've been they've conceded more, um, and the form's not been as good. But Sochi and in general, I think have been as good. As last season, and they're not relying so heavily on Naboa. Naboa scored what yeah. once or twice this season, if that. I, I actually don't know if, if he's even scored at all that I can recall. The goals are coming from a lot of different different areas. You know, they're actually getting obviously they they lost Sabalotni, but the goals are coming from elsewhere. So um, I think fairly promising signs from Sochi this season. Yeah, definitely. That's that lack of. Having to rely on Naboa is a is a massive move for for Sochi. He's got he's got twice scored twice in the in the RPL this season Naboa, um, but by this point last year I think he got seven or six or seven. So the it's yeah, not he scored a lot. Yeah, I will. I'm gonna try and dig out the assists because I, I don't know how many assists he's got either. Even yeah, and this isn't anything against Naboa either. He's still very effective in the games. It's just they like you say they're finding other avenues of being able to to work. The ball and the playing, like I, I think I mentioned it earlier towards the start of the season, how they seem to have the early on shoots of playing a different style. They're far, obviously, they do defend very well still. But if you look at their team, Rodrigo and Prokin are very effective ball players out from the back. And then the rest of the side are just good. Most of 90% of them are good, technical, technically proficient players. They, they are far less sit deep in a low block, then break as fast as they can, um, using Zabalotny's admittedly very good target man ability to to get other players into the game, um, particularly Naboa. It's, it's a total change in style. 
and Vladimir Fedotov's just continuing his absolutely brilliant work with them. Uh, I've been impressed by Terakov as well this season. He, like you say, he's what spent nigh on the last ten years just dotting about the FNL. Granted, one of the better players in the FNL, um, but he, he played Dynamo Moscow a little bit in the RPL after they were promoted again towards the end of his time a second spell at Dynamo. But like I say, before then, the first year Dynamo in the second spell was in the Finnell. His year, most of his time in Orenburg was at Volga, Baltica, Himki. Like he's been generally a just an average little bit of a journeyman defender. So him using his experience to play the way that he is in what is a more unfamiliar role of late, pushing forward to a wing back is. It's good to see, and he totally, without a shadow of a doubt, deserves his call-up. He's been by far one of the uh, the best Russian fullbacks in the league this season, albeit surprisingly. So it's, and I agree. I think Sochi probably would have made the group stages against Santa Clara. It's just a shame that, like you said, they had those couple of errors against Partizan, uh, lapses in concentration more than anything that you see from players who are not used to playing at a European level. And unfortunately, getting drawn against one of the harder sides in that in that uh, in that stage of the seedings. So we'll move on from Sochi now and address the last topic, which will just be a quick one. Um, oh, looking over the Russia squad, uh, of course, since we last spoke, Valery Karpin did trim down his squad, and due to various injuries, uh, fatigue, and lack of fitness, there's been a quite a big shift in the personnel in general. So those who were dropped from the squad were Kristiuk, Mukin, Zinkovsky and Tukarvin. Uh, the following players, the long list, have pulled out of the squad due to differing forms of injury. Uh, and Zuba, as we mentioned before, as well as Golovin, Makeyev, Klushikov, Samoshnikov, Zoblin, Karavaya, Vignonov. They've been replaced by Rostov's 21-year-old midfielder, Daniel Glebov, uh, Akhmetov at Siska, Arsene Adamov and Denis Makarov. Um, Arsene Adamov might be a little bit of a name that many don't recognise, but he's been doing very well in Ural this season, a uh, young fullback. And Mikhail Ignatov and Kirill Bozhinov, the Spartak and Himki youngsters respectively, well, on Rolik Himki, have also trained with the first team uh, due to the lack of numbers. And because the under-21s, the side that they named in, are training in the same place as the seniors, uh, all playing in Kazan. So after all of that quite a um, big mix around in the squad, they will be playing Slovakia in Kazan and then travelling to Slovenia for the next two games of the World Cup qualifiers. So David's initial anal- analysis on this, uh, we mentioned it off-air previously, but I will mention it again now. We won that sticks out to me in that list is a little bit of an odd move is that Maxim Mukin was of course initially named in the squad uh, was then dropped out when he trimmed it down from 34 to 27 and then joined up with the under 21s as we have discussed is to make his debut for under 21s and so on um, but then when other midfielders dropped out through to injury he wasn't called up but Ignatov was asked to train from the under-21s, not called up the squad, but asked to train. And then later on, 
Akhmatov and Glebov were, were then called up, who weren't anywhere near. So it's that seems like a little bit of scattergun, in my opinion, um, which is a pattern with, with developing so far in Karpin's uh, tenureship in Russia. Um, I think that's that's one way to read it. I think I think he's maybe showing that he's he's open to to rewarding players who are playing well. Um, if we talk about Ignatov, for example, he obviously is in the M twenty one squad. Presumably, him Bozhnov just both called up to to make up numbers while replacements flew in. Um, but if we talk about it, you know, he in the last week scored a, a crucial goal for Spartak against Napoli in the in the Europa League. Um, so maybe just being rewarded f- for that. Um, as for Mukin and Galebov situation, a li- that is odd. Uh, when you when you said it earlier, I was like, hmm, yeah, um, you know, his his explanation is that Glebov knows the position, but you know, knows the demands um, more. Uh, although wasn't asked about Mukin directly, he was just asked why why was Glebov called up, uh, and he said, well, he knows exactly what what I want from him in this position and obviously they they worked together at Rostov um you know it was it was Carpin I believe who signed Glebov for Rostov from from Angie so um you know that they know each other and I I think this is again uh, another note that he's rewarding players who who are in good form Rostov have been very poor this season but Glebov has been very good um someone I remember someone asked me about him on Twitter and I I actually wasn't overly complimentary. I said, "Look, I think he's, I think he's a decent player, but I wasn't sure, you know, where where his potential is. Um, you know, he's 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 not an attacking midfielder. He's he's not like I don't think he is a bit similar to Glushkov. I think he's 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 more of a defensive. He's a he's a he's like a more aggressive version of Kante. He really will get stuck in. Uh, he doesn't score a lot." He, he very rarely scores. Uh, doesn't get forward a great deal. He, he's just that guy who does a lot of running. Um, you know, he's, he's the Rostov captain. So you, we know sort of therefore what sort of player he is to be given that, that responsibility at a young age. You know, he's only 21. So, um, so yeah, it, sh- it shows that, you know, he, he's, I think he's willing to give players the chance if they're playing well. Akhmetov is another player who I think we've talked about on the pod recently that he, he's on... I think he's having a very good season. Been played in a slightly higher role um, where where he started his career, um, and therefore, and you know, when when Golden dropped out, Akhmetov can. I think that's that is a similar comparison in terms of you know the positions and and the playing styles. You know, both go both the guys who can carry the ball well. Um, you know, the the initial squad being thirty four and so big, you know. You may as well just call up everyone in Russia who is eligible for the Russian national team at this point, you know, because you probably get to, I don't know, 50, 50 players. I don't know. That's just a ballpark who are potentially, if everyone's fit, there's probably about 50 players who are legitimately in contention for the Russia squad, I would imagine. Um, if we talk about, you know, he, he's named 34 plus seven goalkeepers in total, plus players who are injured. Plus players on the fringes who were coming through. You know, he he was asked about um, 
Glebov and Karpin said, well, who else would I was going to call up? Um, Yarov, he's, he hasn't trained for two days and he's with the under-21s. I mean, A, that to me shows that he's actually considered him Yarov because why would he just say it unprompted? Um, and again, Yarov, we, we discussed last week, on excellent form for Spartak, but has played a lot of football in recent times. And I think um, he thinks that therefore he and and Mukin probably just need that spell. You know, Mukin, as we discussed last week, has, has bypassed the other rounds entirely. Um, but he's still only 19, so he's going to be eligible for this group of players, for this squad for a long time to come, for another couple of years. Um, so I think he, he let him drop in and just decided that I'm going to just give him this, this international break in the other 21s. Him and two carbon, because they, even two carbon. It's quite uncapped at that level, and he has a couple. Um, so that's just that's just my view on things. But I, I'm well open to if we if it is the scattergun, I'm, I'm quite open to the scattergun. Um, that's how I would take international management personally. Is reward players who are in form. You have to have a balance. You know, you call up players who are good, even if they're not playing, like Miranchuk. Yeah. Um, but you also then bring in some players who are in form, and you need to see if that form sticks and how they perform in training, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, uh, yeah. I suppose that is true. We uh, we did complain in the past, churches of sort of cadre yeah. of me. Would, yeah. <laughs> Would you rather have so, like Glebov, Akhmetov, etc., or Zhirkov, Yono? Yeah. You know, cool yeah, uh, What was it that he unprompted said about <laughs> Glebov's, um, Glebov's call ups when he mentioned the website? Oh yeah, someone just said, "Oh, why? You know, why did you call up Glebov?" He said, "My reasons are on the RFU website. You should go." What was that? I find the quote? Oh, I can't find the quote. I closed the page. It was something along those lines. Go and check there. <laughs> it's really weird. I'm not quite sure if he's trying to be funny and witty. I presume because awkward. he was just asked the same question in two days, and he just got fed up with it. Yeah, <laughs> I kind of respect that to be honest. Um, yeah, there's some interesting names in there, and it's it's nice to see a little bit of experimentation. I must admit, too much is a little bit worrying, but um, glad to see Akhmetov called up. I think I, I agree with you. I think he's been playing really well this season in a in a different role, as I mentioned earlier. Um, I'm a little bit annoyed not to have seen Zinkowski called up, especially considering that there was a few injuries to wingers and attacking midfielders. Obviously, Golovin chopped out, uh, Yanov chopped out. So it could have been a good chance for him to get his full debut, playing arguably the best form of his career, considering the level that he's playing at right now. Um, he probably played better last year, but the level he's playing at in the RPL, the level above that, and towards the end of last season, he, he did play well for Krillia, but you have to look at it on a results basis, and I think the, he's linking up really nicely with Kushenkov, Yezhov and Sergeyev, forming quite a exciting mm. partnership so it's it's a shame that Zinky's not in there but I think I'm always going to say that whenever he's yeah. not in a squad regardless of who's in charge so I mean we've got it's... Makarov there so you know that if we want an unpredictable winger that you know it's fine we got one at least you know we're all crying out for Makarov mm. to get some football with the Euros just to give Russia mm. something different because he was in such good form at that point and in, he has started to pick it up for Dinamos over the last couple of games after signing uh, Zinke is sort of like the footballing equivalent of the Scarecrow from The Wizard of Oz. 
you know, if only he had a brain. Um, he, he can do so much with the ball and then at the last minute he'll just did not do anything correct uh, with the phone or just whip it in the box. Um, you know, it's like a 5% success rate when it comes to a final decision, but when it comes to getting to the point where he needs to make the final decision, he's unbelievable. You know, he, he can beat players for fun. Um, if only, if only he could uh, play the right ball more often. But you know that that sort of <laughs> ball uh, ball control and dribbling ability would be welcome in in the team. I think still. Yeah, certainly. It, it's a position that they lack a huge amount of talent in, especially with Moran took out of form and Golovin not in the team through injury. And um, if we do stick to RFU matters, because of course Bonaya is. Part of the RFU. Um, we'll finish up the pod um, just quickly recapping some news that Sergei Pliadkin this week has resigned as the president of the RPL. Um, now, it's not quite the RFU, but it's it's a, a apparatchik business. Uh, Ashot Kachatulians is the acting president. Uh, it was previously rumoured that one of a league club uh, executive would be the acting president just for a little bit of stability in the meantime before. Kachurians is voted in, which is expected to be uh, an unopposed election decided by the 16 clubs. But it seems that it is the case that now that Kachurians is the acting president and will then become the de facto president after that set to be, un- as things stand, uncontested election. Now, Kachurika, I can't, I'm going to stop saying his name. So is he, <laughs> is the, he's, he's got, uh, links in working in oil and the gas industry, um, initially working for Gaz Export, which was a subsidiary of Gazprom. Um, many might not be surprised to hear that. He's also a former FSB, uh, State Border of the Federation, Russian Federation Department head, and has also worked at Spurbank and Rusneft. So the, the usual... Um, corporations that you would and government organizations that you would hear dotting around the annals power annals of football in in the country he initially the response that i've seen on twitter to his his appointment is that the many are worrying about the increasing armenianization of the country which is um bollocks to be quite honest <laughs> it's let's judge the man on his work and not the fact that he has armenian heritage um it's absolutely ridiculous uh, and many spartak fans i see as usual complaining about his gazprom links yes he did work for gazprom but he hasn't worked for gazprom whatsoever since 1996 that's like a very long time so we'll see how he does um the president of the RPL isn't necessary. It's an important position, but it's not a massively deciding decision in how the RPL works because it's not like the RFU. Um, the RPL is more democratic. The future of the league is decided by the clubs and the club owners rather than the president. It's largely more so of a bureaucratic role. So I'm not necessarily agreeing with the furore around the decision. Um, any more so than any single person who's ever put into that role. Um, the general consensus is that they wanted somebody who was more amenable to the club owners. Uh, Briadkin was often seen as a little bit of a stumbling block 
um, arguing quite often, according to reports anyway, arguing quite often with club owners in meetings. And they wanted someone who was basically a little bit more diplomatic. So we'll see how he does. And best of luck to him, because I can only imagine trying to control a room full of 16 club owners and executives is deny an impossible task with the egos that must and, and wallet size of the wallets that must exist in, in those doors. But uh, best of luck to Kachurians in his position as acting head of the RPL. Uh, that's all from us this week. Gonna do a little bit of a, a longer one than we have of late, but we will be back to cover all of the Russia games that take place during the international break this weekend. There's a little bit of a reminder that is, of course, Russia versus Slovakia at the Kazan Arena, and then they travel to Maribor to play Slovenia away. But this has been the Russian Football News Podcast. Идет футбольный матч, летит над полем мяч. Веди его, беги, точнее его ударь. Но мяч берет в ноги решительный вратарь. Не напрасно футбольное поле самых ловких и смелых плечов. Здесь нужны тренировка и воля, быстрота, увлечение, расчет.